think you're doing? Mom, I'm really uncomfortable with you saying that Well, word. then don't put me in the position, John. Do you know what day it is? Of all the days for you to pull this shit, what do you think you can do? Just wander around town? I don't ask you for very much. Just give me one Mom, day. I've given you 17 years. And I need you to be responsible. Do you know what that responsible. means? Responsible. Don't talk to me about responsible, I Mom. I just need this one Mom, thing. Mom, I am not responsible for you. That's it. That's enough. I can't take it, Mom. He's dead. Michael Myers is dead. What do you want me to say? That it's over? We should try to get on with some attempt at a happy existence, Mom. Because all the shit that's going on in your head is leaking out on me, and I can't take it anymore. You told me yourself you watched him burn. I didn't exactly stay to see his ashes, John. 20 years. 20 years. Don't you think he would have shown up by now? In 1998, slasher movies were in the midst of a resurgence. Scream had exploded onto the screen two years prior, and Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson's love letter to masked killers brought renewed interest to a subgenre that had seemingly played itself out. The references to Halloween were plentiful throughout Scream, so it was only natural that the franchise that inspired the latest horror craze would come back for another sequel. The Michael Myers of old was coming home again, but he wasn't coming alone. Jimmy Lee Curtis hadn't played Laurie Strode in 17 years, but she decided it was finally time to return to the series that had been instrumental in starting her career. Jamie, along with director Steve Miner and Scream scribe Kevin Williamson, created a movie that feels like it's inspired as much by Scream as it is by the original Halloween. Gone and completely ignored are the convoluted plots and increasingly bizarre mysticism of the previous three movies, and instead, Halloween H2O, 20 years later, focuses on the lasting effects of trauma suffered by Laurie Strode and her drive to find closure after 20 years. It was a new beginning for the Halloween franchise, but was it able to recapture the tension and fear of the original in a new era of horror dominated by self-referential humor and a complete awareness of the slasher tropes that had been repeated over and over to the point of cliché? Find out tonight as we discuss Halloween H2O here in The Last Theater. Welcome to part 7 of our Halloween franchise retrospective. This is 1998's Halloween H2O. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. Welcome back once again to Joey and to everyone listening. Of course, listening to every episode on cnjradio.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anything else that you get your podcast from. Oh, so it's full circle, Chris. Is it? I don't do transitional material. Uh, so 21 <laughs> years ago... Uh -huh. Myself and Chris ventured out to the Grapevine Mills Movie Theater AMC 30 or whatever that it? is, right. and that's where yeah. we saw H2O. And I remember this, I mean, cliche, like it was yesterday. Right. And so this is neat. This is the first Halloween movie we saw together as friends in yeah. a theater yeah. at, at, at maybe the last theater. And uh, right. <laughs> sorry, I, I was trying to work it in. Yeah. And now we're doing a review show on it. Twenty, who would have thought? Twenty-one years later, right? Yeah. Uh, probably more surprised than Jamie Lee was to return to the series. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, I mean, I was so that would have made me uh, just almost twenty at that point, and you just of adult age. And uh, yeah. so let's let's do this. How do we feel about it now? I I like Halloween H two O. For years and years, I associated. H2O and Resurrection together. Yeah, see, that's where you went wrong. Yeah, because... <laughs> thank you. I didn't really... I didn't watch them that often. Sure. So my memory, Me as with, I've said previously, 4 and 5 were jumbled in my brain. Yeah. I wouldn't even remember which were which necessarily until my previous viewing of them. And now I can I could separate them. And sure. I'm talking about the one I did a few years ago. Right, right. But on in this current one, yeah, of course, like looking into it and... Part 7, H2O, is... It's a return to form, in a way, but like I was saying, it's also 
very much a product of the environment that it was created in, which was the Scream environment, yeah. which which influenced everything. I'll tell you, it goes deeper than that. Yeah. And I got to give a lot of the credit. And, you know, I beat up on one of the honchos in the previous episode. Uh. But I'll just say as an entity, versus yeah. Miramax and Dimension, yeah. but especially Miramax, uh, not only did they give us Scream, as you yeah. mentioned there at the top of the show, Chris, which, you know, that's a whole other episode, and yeah. I'd like to do that with yeah. you at some point. Yeah. But Miramax also gave us, in a way, not not originally, but in a way they gave us Quentin Tarantino. And yeah. who was referencing pop culture, uh, to some people's opinions, ad nauseum True. Uh, yeah. in movies before him? So anytime somebody mentions anything pop culture now in movies... Yeah. I just have my brain thinks that that never even existed right prior to his stuff becoming big now obviously there were references in movies prior to yeah. tarantino i'm not saying he's the poobah innovator of this sure. but he definitely uh you know definitely shined it up and made it his absolutely and to the degree that he did it i don't know that it was really done like that before yeah. and after that after pulp fiction really exploded uh, i kind of look at cinema like, yeah pre-pulp fiction yeah it is it's one of those movies that is definitely like that and yeah very much so in the mid and late 90s every movie felt like it because they were all referencing all this stuff that people his age and getting into our age we were a little younger yeah but they would all reference the stuff that they talked about and that was really part that was what a lot of some of these movies were based on yeah scream was just it was a reference the entire movie was a reference to something else yeah and which isn't necessarily a bad thing no um you see references in halloween h2o which we'll get to as we go along yeah exactly so that, that, that's why i wanted to bring it up because yeah. i feel like scream not just as from the miramax side of things owes yeah. a lot to quentin but i feel like scream probably wouldn't have been made or at least it wouldn't have yeah. sounded that way and been and the dialogue wouldn't have been like right. that if not for Quentin. Right, so, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that because it's it's a little bit outside, but yeah, that influence does trickle through to it, it trickle through to everything. And it still makes me yearn for the Tarantino horror film we still don't have in yeah. this world because you you've heard rumors over the years he's been attached to a, a you know a Halloween project yeah. here and there, and definitely a, one of the Friday the Thirteenth. The reboot from 09 yeah. he was attached to for a long time. I think it was part six that he was attached to, that he was contacted, or someone... One of them was buddies was... Yeah, Scott uh, Spiegel, I yeah, think it was, yeah. had actually written a treatment or something yeah. for it. But it makes me yearn for him to have like yeah. that movie, that, yeah. that like a really good genre-defining horror movie, because yeah. I know he's a fan. Yeah. Uh, I like, you know... Anyway, I'm getting <laughs> off on a tangent, but... Right. Uh, yeah, I just felt like, you know, this is... We're we're in the Miramax era now, and not that yeah. the last one wasn't. It was in Miramax dimension, yeah. but this truly feels, you know, the fre- the fresh coat of paint is on it. Yeah, Jamie Lee is back, and so I was ready. Like I was super ready for this movie. Definitely, I went into it really hyped up. Yeah, and I came out really enjoying it. Yeah, that was my initial theater, uh, you know, journey with it. Yeah, so, uh, same same with me. I think. The things that we discover in the next one, which we'll talk about in the next one, do affect the enjoyment of this one. And to me, they do, at least in the ending. I advise people at home not to do the same. And I'm not not trying to say that you're wrong, Chris. I'm just saying, if you have never seen Halloween Resurrection, slight spoiler for the next episode, (laughs) really just, I don't recommend watching it. And I don't recommend watching it within the context of H2O. H2O stands on its own. Um, you know, not even just post part two, yeah. but just from the original. The, the idea of what mm-hmm. this new one that came out in 2018 was. Yeah. A true sequel to the first one. Yeah. Now, I don't mind putting two in this canon, because basically, as it far as the yeah. approach for this is, uh, they wanted to say part one counts, part two counts, and then this one counts. And yeah. then they wiped everything else. Right. Which I think was a smart thing to do at the time. Yeah, because it had gotten... You heard us talk about it for a long time. We, it we, got so ridiculous. We, like, where do you go from there? We might have dedicated a few hours to talking <laughs> about this. So let's uh, get back to H2O. Positives, negatives. What do you want to uh, speak on first, Chris? Well, I like 
so Jamie Lee Curtis, I did listen to the commentary, which was Steve Miner and Jamie Lee Curtis, and I forget the guy's name, the guy that does the uh, Horrors Hollowed Grounds. Oh, Sean Clark. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was kind of the moderator, just kind of yeah. asked him a question and let him kind of go on their yeah, own. He did that for part three also. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, it's a good commentary. You were telling me, that, like, when you listened to the... The first uh, one. Warren, yeah, with uh, John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Like, Jamie Lee Curtis does not like horror movies. She yeah. does not watch them. She does not want to see anything. So throughout the movie, she was warning them, like, tell me when something's about to happen because I don't want to see it. Like, she was getting mad at some point. Like, don't, like tell me. Yeah, and she pre-guesses. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to be on my phone. They're like, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to be on my phone. No, no, you're not listening, Jamie. Yeah. So th- that was fun. Um, and there was one t- a point in it where she was just like, sh- like she quieted everyone down yeah. for like three minutes because she wanted to hear what was happening because yeah. she was talking in the movie. Yeah. And I've seen some commentaries edited where they, they put the sound up whenever people yeah. don't talk. And they didn't they on didn't this one. This so it was real awkward. Yeah. And then you kind of hear them kind of trying to bring themselves back in. Yeah. Like, we're going to whisper a little bit. Yeah. Maybe she'll start talking some more. Right. Is it okay to talk? I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe she's on her phone. She doesn't hear us. So, But I bring that up because apparently Jamie Lee Curtis was very heavily involved with the creative direction of H2O, yeah. which, understandable, she was a big movie star at the time. She had decided to come back to the series where she didn't have to, um, but it was 20 years later. So they did have to do certain things to keep her on the project because she wanted. she had a very clear vision of what, how she wanted Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, how she wanted their story to end. And sure. she was looking at this one as most directors throughout the series have, not, she's not a director, but as right. most of the creatives have, she was looking at this one as an ending to the series. Yeah. And she wanted it to be that. So I, they I had think, to do some writing hoops and trickery to satisfy her while allowing the series to continue because Mustafa Akkad had it in his contract that Michael Myers cannot be killed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and there was a funny thing in the the featurette about mm-hmm. this on the on the, the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Mustafa said, uh, you know, he was very hands-on by the characters. He was just there to observe Michael yeah. and how they treated Michael oh, and yeah. how Michael moved. Like he that's that was kind of his thing when that's he was on set because he doesn't he, he's not writing the script. Yeah. So as a producer, he's like, I'm the Michael guy. He's my contract. So, guy. so he's like Peta, but for Michael. Yeah, he, or he's Michael's advocate yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so apparently they played a prank on him mm. during one of the shots. By the way, if you, oh, if you didn't yeah. hear about this, yeah. uh, when he's standing on the uh, table at the end during the final showdown, mm. uh, they have a bit where he, they put a gun in his hand and he pretends <laughs> to he cocks the gun, and their cod's like, "Okay, you got me," <laughs> like because. I guess someone had said something like, why wouldn't he just pick up the gun? He's like, Michael does not pick up guns. <laughs> like, he apparently, like, lost it oh, really? on somebody. And so they played the prank on him later with the gun. That's funny. Which I would have loved to have seen that. He, it's too bad there's no footage yeah, of it. He picked up one gun. He stabbed someone with him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which <laughs> I, was our favorite kill from yeah, that movie. Yeah. So, But, yeah, he didn't use it like, you know, he didn't right. use it like a real gun. <laughs> so, yeah, the, I'm sure maybe that footage exists somewhere. But they did not put it on the feature. Yeah. So, missed opportunity. That's unfortunate. Although you hear about those stories where, like, reels that don't get used, yeah. even after final process or whatever, and they just get lost or they deteriorate and yeah. they're not looked yeah. after. Yeah. Man, I, I don't like to think about that. Like, I, I, yeah. I just picture films, like, in these desert caves, like in The Exorcist, you know? <laughs> right. Like, that's where they are now if they're yeah. not being preserved. Well, anyway. it's like Event Horizon, apparently. <laughs> There's all this footage that is just gone. Yeah. So, oh, yeah this just which so is unfortunate. All right. Anyway, so, we're talking about a lot of other uh, movies. But... How do we get back? And usually you want to do this on a movie that we didn't enjoy, right. but yeah, I, I enjoy this. this movie. Yeah. I love the fact that they wanted to do the human aspect of it. Because yeah. once again, it got so far away from that. Yeah. And the thing that makes the first one great is that you care about these people. Right. Of course, bringing Lori back means that you immediately care yeah. about her. But she doesn't play it like a sympathetic character, so I think that's really neat, that post-traumatic thing. Yeah. So, are, are, were there any points during this movie, Chris, where you were like, get over yourself, Lori, or were you sympathetic towards her? Like, how did you feel about Lori in this installment? I, no, I never felt like, get over yourself, because, for one, she wasn't that bad of a mom. Like, she was super strict, but... 
to the not to a she was point. A sm- she was a bit of a smother, but yeah, like not from. But you, you know. understand why? Because yeah. her friends were murdered at the same age that her son is now. There's so. different, and there's different levels of smothering. I'm not trying to use that as like a harsh buzzword because right. I couldn't come up with anything else. First of all, sure. and second of all, like referencing uh, Psycho, that that's a different kind of smothering. Right. Yeah. Which is you know you're going to hear about those references right. throughout this film. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. She went through a lot. Yeah. In the uh, in one night. Right. And, and it's weird to think this is the seventh movie. But for Laurie Strode, it was one night. That was it. She's only had one encounter with Michael. Yeah, up until uh, this point. Up until this point. Yeah. So it's just because of all the the time, like the new, the fresh starts and everything. But yeah, no, I I liked how she approached the character in this one. And um, the, the drinking and she talked about her past a bit. The father of her son, whose name is John. Oh, did you do the research on that? Because I wanted that that fan theory that it was the EMT that we liked from part two should have been the dad. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy. Well, her son's name is John. Well, I don't know. It could have been Jimmy. But yeah, we we don't know. So, but apparently if, if my math is correct, he would have been born in 1981, which was three years after technically the stuff in the hospital oh, because it was supposed yeah. to take place in 78 yeah. so but they could have been around together and if they both went through a traumatic experience she was talking about how in h2o how john's dad was like a drunk or i don't know if it was drugs or drinking or what i think it was drinking it was drugs yeah was they, it drugs? they referenced drugs yeah. in there too yeah. so yeah he might have and he if he was a paramedic he could have had access to yeah. drugs so maybe... I'd, I'd really like to think it's Jimmy, but at the same time, I don't want him to have that kind of tragic life. Like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so, but yeah, so I think it makes sense because trauma, and she was going through stuff three years after she was nearly murdered. So there was a bad time, and the drinking was just something that kind of stayed with her through all that time. So yeah, it. I think it all makes sense. I think it was really well done, and we're seeing her. She's finally starting to cope with it. She finally opens up to someone in this movie about her past, and that's when Michael decides to show back up again. So it's I think it's I think it's a really well done movie. Kevin Williamson, he's not credited as a screenwriter on this movie, but he did the initial script and then they, they had get, rewrites. They gave him a lot of credit as yeah. far as like direction and yeah. even the the final kill. And yeah, absolutely. And that's very important. So yeah, listening to the commentary, it was clear that even though the script was rewritten, a lot of his ideas were still there, and he would do rewrites on the okay. set or whatever. So yeah. he was really the writer of this yeah. movie because I think he got part. a producer credit too, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so yeah. that was good. the only credit he got. Yeah. But they so it was like Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Williamson were the main, the yeah. creative team behind the project. It seemed. Yeah, and he only mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis like thirty-seven times in the scream script, so right. it makes sense. Yeah, so like, exactly. She like, was even in the movie, so I can imagine like the first time they met. Like, right. the first interaction. Oh, right. Like, I'm a big fan. She'd have been like, I know. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you made Star that, Wars. Like... <laughs> yeah. You made that pretty obvious yeah, I in your you, movie. I know. Thank yeah. you, though, because you are revitalizing my career now. Right. Not that her career was dead. No. But she wasn't, like, you know, such hot shit. But she's hot shit in the bubble of Halloween, and that's yeah. the important part. That's why yeah, she yeah. had such a good bargaining chip. Right. And yeah. I dig that. Uh, so and I'm glad that she made the choices that she did. They worked for me. Yeah, because um, she had done what like True Lies by that point oh, around yeah. there. So she was doing some really great True. stuff. Yeah, yeah. you know, if it, my favorite non-horror thing that she's ever done, <laughs> TV and movies total, right. it's definitely True yeah. Lies. It's yeah. greatness, of course. Uh, we were talking about drinking earlier, Chris. Yeah, Speaking yes. of other vices, let's talk about smoking. I'd be okay. remiss if we didn't talk about the smoking nurse, right? Yes, Marion was back. She has. This was her third movie. She was in part one. She was in part two, which we had talked about where we didn't even realize it was her. Yeah. In a trend that was started with part five, a returning character was murdered in the first act um, because we had Rachel in part five that was killed, Jamie in part six. Yeah. Marion was killed at the beginning of part seven, and we'll do that again in part eight. And it's consistent with the timeline, too, yeah. because they, they're they only counting one and two, so she's right. returning from two. Yeah. So Next movie, dead. It, yeah. it makes total sense. Yeah. I love the way that first scene goes down. It's That's almost cool. like a separate short film onto it its is. own yeah. just because it's such a long opening scene, yeah. but I like it. And it looks different. I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be Midwest, mm. 
uh, you know, they're they're back in the Illinois area mm-hmm. because you know the crux of the movie takes place in California. Right. But I like just like how it looks. It looks classic. It looks old yeah. and in that vintage part one way. And you hear a lot about well, it feels and looks like part one. And then you watch a movie and it goes, no, it doesn't. Yeah. But that part really does. It does. Yeah. It really does it for me. It's not just the Mister Sandman thing, <laughs> right. but I love everything about it. And, it. and it turns it on its ear because. She immediately knows that something's wrong yeah. because they let you know right off the bat. She sees the shattered glass by her mm-hmm. doorstep, and it immediately stops down everything. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah, and you know, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in the first part yeah. of the thing with uh, the guy. You said they're they're looking like the dudes from uh, Dogma. Yeah, <laughs> the the hockey kids from Dogma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just I love that whole thing too. Yeah. Uh, like, so it really primed me for this movie i think a lot of the execution in this is so good yeah michael's definitely got a trucker's patience i mean he went cross-country basically yeah to get like in a matter of a day or two yeah <laughs> like he, he hauled it all the way to california but it was a which, great setup because like you said they did it did feel like the original and so since most of the movie does take place at a school in california it's not gonna feel like the original just because of the location yeah, and it shouldn't and it shouldn't but to do that, to transition from here is what you remember, all these people you just met are now dead, we're moving on to this other thing. And there's the connection, because you see whenever the police, the exposition cops, they always have to have the exposition people in there. Sure. Uh, the two cops that are investigating the break-in, they don't realize everyone's dead next door until <laughs> yeah. afterwards. That's pretty amazing. Because yeah. like, we all know, and they yeah. don't, and that's yeah. truly scary. And that was cool, because she's actually like running out to get them through the window, because they they were in her house, yeah. but she went next door to where the kids were, and that's where Michael was. Yeah. So I love that whole, like, it was kind of like the beginning of Scream, where the Drew Barrymore's character was like running to her parents who were right there and she couldn't get to him and she was being killed at the same time. Yeah. So it's kind of that similar thing. Sure. Which yeah. it works all the time. It's, it's yeah. really well done. And it's a great scene also because if you'd never seen a Halloween movie prior to this, and I'm sure there were a few newbies, yeah. there had to be some in the crowd, yeah. especially considering the box office was good on it. Yeah. So this is, they need this. Exp- right. Either the, and um, I, I don't have the guy's name in front of me. It's like John something, the voiceover guy that yeah. does the Loomis stuff. Yeah. Uh, I found out something neat about him. And by the way, I think he did a great job. Yeah. Because I think he would fool some people. Didn't yeah. fool me. Right. <laughs> but he did a great job. Yeah. He was like a cartoon voiceover guy. And the main thing I know him from is he's he was the uh, the dad slash professor from the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> awesome. Isn't that amazing? That is pretty cool. <laughs> so, a lot of good 90s stuff. They're dropping yeah, the sun, Powerpuff Girls. Again, references. We're referencing so many things in this show that we're doing right now that you're listening to, yeah. which is no coincidence that the movie is doing the same. And the usage of Plan 9 from Outer Space in the opening scene, yeah. too. Yeah. Which uh, Steve Miner said that was his favorite film of all time, by the way. I was like... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Why not? It's it's definitely um, motivational if yeah. you're a director. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if this if this guy can make this and be successful, then I can do it too. Yeah. I can do better probably. Sure. And At the very least, somebody will make a movie about and, me. And it is a great callback to the original because John Carpenter put his influences in the first one. Yeah. So, I dig that. Yeah. Um, but I liked how the setup was because after that whole thing happened, we get that long intro sequence where it was just the like newspaper clippings we find out that marion had been keeping tabs on everything she wasn't really the new loomis but she was keeping track on where Lori was um because Lori had faked her own death in this version so that she could escape from all of that and i feel like that was probably initially meant to explain away why she was said to be dead in four yeah. Because I think they were supposed to be of one continuity, but it was all kind of ignored after yeah. a while. But I like that it works on that level. But it still works. Yeah. And so we see all these things. Dr. Loomis had... The cops say that he died a few years prior, so I guess he didn't die in the explosion. Unless, or unless they mean like 20 years, so... And and I guess she'd been taking care of him in that house, right? Wasn't that the deal? That's also why she had the I records? Think, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that immediately he's living on his own in a cabin in the woods somewhere, basically, right. in part six, so that's why it doesn't count. Yeah. So <laughs> I like this better, actually. I like yeah. the fact that... Yeah. Like him and the smoking nurse, maybe, you know, they might have got it on a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, Loomis deserves some happiness. Yeah, God damn it. He's sure. yeah. lived a terrible existence. <laughs> right. Well, you know. Self chosen, but still. Yeah. It's, in a way, when you think about it, in this timeline, 
Michael had been locked up since 1978. It was just the one night. So Loomis did his job. Whereas in the previous incarnation, 4, 5, and 6, he kind of failed over and over and over again. But in this one, he actually, some people died, but he succeeded in stopping him and getting him locked back away up and for the rest of his life yeah as he knows so it's it's almost a happier ending for loomis in a way i don't know it's yeah. debatable i suppose yeah. um but still, it was sad I think that the explosion fire at the hospital is still a little uh, you know shady I, with me yeah so. but it's whatever That's, yeah yeah <laughs> we can forget about that it was sad that this was the first michael myers movie without Donald Pleasance, like yeah. it's, with Jamie Lee in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it just feels, and also, yeah, overall, yeah, yeah it not just feels so three. weird that he wasn't a part of it because he had been such. He had over the years, and watching these in order again, it's like Michael and Loomis was the thing. It yeah. wasn't really Laurie like and Michael, Batman and the Joker. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's you bada bing bada boom. Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, that this was a great movie, and so we kind of danced around the whole the plot of the story but Lori, like we said faked her death she's now this headmistress at this private school hillcrest academy i believe yeah it's that sounds right yeah, yeah. and it's like gated, uh, gated that's important gated community <laughs> which makes sense for she chose this probably she worked her way to it yeah. because it's safe it's behind locked doors she there's apparently only one way in and out apparently you can't even climb the fence because the kids sneak out <laughs> but they have to get the security guy to open the gate yeah. um but she lives on the property so whenever the whole school goes away for their camping trip, then they are all alone. And it's just Lori and the counselor, security guard, and the four kids, her, her son included, who stay behind from the trip, unknown to her at the time. Don't you love the obvious and unobvious callback to Steve Miner's previous works? So you got Joseph Gordon-Levitt wearing a hockey mask that looks pretty much like a Jason mask. Yeah. And then you got these kids going away for a camping trip. Yeah. Hmm. Steve Miner did Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3. Yes. If you've listened to the Friday series, you know how I feel about Part 3. Um, but luckily this was not in 3D, so he can be forgiven for not doing any of that. Yeah. But uh, there was no yo-yo in this movie, which I'm very happy about. Oh, I would yeah. have lost my mind. No, because she's a female rapper, Chris. So we had to get a male rapper in LL Cool J. <laughs> oh thank you yeah. thank you okay. all right anyway all right yo-yo is kind of a, a deep pull for uh, you got to be real old school for that one right. but I, I you know hey not for nothing right. so hello cool j they were talking about him in the featurette and right. everybody was kind of doing and i'm gonna i'm gonna say not defend ll but it was funny because they almost kind of treat him like an outsider and mm-hmm. they're like ll did really good they were kind of like oh he's new he's good right kids like him but at the same time i was like dude he had like a sitcom for like the whole decade. Like yeah. he was one of the ones that was working consistently right. as an actor right. through the nineties. And they're like, "Oh, you know, good for you, LL." <laughs> right. And I'm just like, "Okay, yeah, I know it's TV, but you know, being on a sitcom and being funny like that for years—that's yeah. that takes a lot." I didn't watch the show personally, yeah, but right. I know it did well, and people yeah. really liked it. Mm. So there's something to be said for that. So. Yeah. Yeah, he should have been good in this movie, okay. and he was. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. Yeah, he didn't have a huge part, but every scene he was in, it was he was really good in it. He was funny, and yeah, he, but he was serious when he needed to be in in the yeah. certain scenes that he was. Yeah, and he didn't chew the scenery too much. I yeah. mean, he he gave the part, uh, you know, some flair. Yeah, and I, I really, you know, it's one of those things that's it feels like stunt casting on the front end. Like when I went in there, I was like, Ugh. yeah, but I was like, no, I actually wound up enjoying him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's, they said he was happy to be there. He was yeah. like, he was like, call me Todd. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was like, no, I'm, I'm Todd Smith. I'm yeah. here to do a job. You know, That's I'm cool. like, it's your build is LL Cool J. Right. Josh Hartnett said he was a big fan. One of the first mm-hmm. albums he bought, if not the first album he bought was an LL Cool J record. Cool. And he tells him that on set. Yeah. And LL, who was kind of being like, you know, being nice and respectful. Now he's like, okay, now I can tear into this kid. <laughs> and that's why he does the improv line, apparently, where he goes, uh, go comb your hair. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part. Speaking of that, uh, this was Josh Hartnett's first movie yeah. introducing. He got the introducing credit in this, this movie. Good. And they talked about Josh Hartnett's hair in the commentary. Yes. And you can see it in some of the behind-the-scenes shots. Apparently, he was not into the whole movie star thing, as Jamie Lee Curtis puts it. Yeah. He did not care about what he looked like or anything like that. And as part of that, he wore a beanie on set all the time. Yes. Jamie Lee Curtis said it annoyed her to no end because he would wear the beanie... (laughs) 
up until like right before he, Steve Miner said action, take it off, do a scene, and then immediately put it back on when he said cut. And that's why his hair always looks like he just woke up out of bed. Yeah. The introspect of Josh Hartnett in the featurette was mm-hmm. like, I made life hell for hair and makeup. Yeah. And he didn't even really res- express too much remorse for that. Right. But he basically said, I didn't want to look like those kids in the Noxzema commercials and those kids in the movies where it's not realistic. So sure. I was going for realism, yeah. and that's why I did it. Yeah. yeah, I'm rebelling, I'm young, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's his first movie, so yeah. he's also not going to be an asshole. Right. But that was his choice, and, you know. And at the same time, I do think it made him look a little more realistic. Because, I mean, he's yeah. a good-looking kid, and sure. he not necessarily someone that you would see in every school across the country. And Michelle yeah. Williams is a beautiful woman, and she's not necessarily the girl you would see in every school across the country. Yeah. But his decisions did make him feel a little bit more natural, I think, in yeah. that environment. And he was very self-disparaging about his performance, too, by yeah. the way. He basically said, everybody in this movie is really good, yeah. except for one person. <laughs> and he, hey, he meant he him. Fine. Yeah. He's fine. At, I mean, at the I'm, time, I'm I was a huge fan of him, but he's yeah, fine. I, I'm sure I was annoyed by him at the time. Yeah. But I'm always going to be more annoyed at Michelle Williams' early acting because <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, she went through a tremendous arc into some talent. Right. I thought she was one of the worst actresses on the planet at this point. Okay. And she got good later on. Yeah. And good for her. But man, there were, she was rough to watch. If I, if I was watching anything yeah. with her in it, I was like, oh yeah. This and I was didn't watch Dawson's Creek era. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, you know, I didn't watch Dawson's oh, yeah. Creek. Uh, much respect to Kevin Williamson and everything yeah. and all the other kids in that in that thing. Yeah. And you know, but I you know I, I wasn't totally anti WB of course sure. as a Buffy and Angel fan. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was definitely annoyed by him at the time, but now when I watch it, I'm. I'm way over that, yeah. and the fact that I know that Michelle Williams gets better, that honestly cushions the blow, too, a little right. bit. Right, so. and she was finding it, too. Yeah. Neither one of them, you would think that the kids would be set up to be really the main characters in this one because of what Halloween is, yeah. and Michael killing kids, basically, yeah. but it it's not. Like, after a while, two of them don't even get killed, and they, uh, Michelle Williams' character, yeah. Molly, and Josh Hartnett's character, John, they end up living through the entire thing yeah. and after a certain point it is michael killing kids but after a certain point it becomes michael versus Lori, and that's what the main focus of the movie is which is actually what when you watch it that's what it's building towards but yeah. they have to bring that in and it so it kind of inverts i wouldn't say inverts but it kind of changes what you expect it to be in a way and it's more about it's kind of it was almost titled Lori's Revenge, I think. Huh. Or that was maybe like a subtitle or something. And which oh, is versus kind of water. Consu- oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I never got that. Like, I understand that H2O yeah. is like, we like, recognize it like, and it's we easy get it. to remember. It's cute. But it's not like there should have been rain or something or there should have been a lake. I don't know. Is yeah, it? she moved to Portland, Oregon at some private school instead of, you know, right. like uh, wherever that is. Yeah. The, the lake was at the campground where all the kids went to. <laughs> yeah. like, that's one thing I liked when they all were bussing off to go to the campground. I was like, well, that's where that's where Friday the 13th is happening. And that's where you would you would usually follow the kids to the yeah. campground. Because oh, they yeah. got three buses full of cannon fodder for a fantastic slasher movie. Yeah. But in this one, only two of the kids die. So. I need somebody to make that film now. Right. Like, like yeah. that way they can claim the timeline yeah. for the like make themselves part of it right without getting in trouble there's a legal yeah. way to do that yeah. you know there is like someone should really do that yeah, like yeah. i want right. oh we'll talk about more of this off air right. because i don't want to i don't want to give anybody <laughs> else ideas you're supposed to be making the movies okay <laughs> yeah and the main thrust of the movie after so after the opening scene with marion at her house that's where we find out that michael goes through all the the notes and stuff so he finds out where laurie is and he goes, there is that scene at that public bathroom that feels a lot like one of the scenes in the 2018 Halloween in the in the bathroom. So yeah. I wonder if that was, in, we'll yeah. talk about that more when we get there. There's a bad bathroom scene in the one we're going to do a couple of movies from now. <laughs> is yeah, there's one in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Okay, too, I've yeah. only seen it twice. And I've only seen part two once. So. I've seen it once. Yeah. I'm about to see it twice. <laughs> and I'm not looking forward to yeah. it. But there is... I liked the... Talking about characterization of Laurie, I guess, for a bit. Because Michael's on his way. We see him steal the car and he's on his way. And we see the car every once in a while. Because Laurie's son and his friend have 
escaped from the school. They got LL Cool J to open up the gate and let him out. Yeah. And she is also out. She's having a uh, like a two drink lunch with, say, yeah, yeah, two, with her right. counselor friend who is maybe what is she a judge right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like that scene in the cafe though because it not only does it set up it sets up everything you need to know about Lori yeah. because she's sitting there and we know what happened to her Yeah, he does not know yeah. and it's clear in this instance that he wants to know but maybe she doesn't think that he can handle what he she has to say about what happened and when she when he goes off for a second to the bathroom or whatever and it's when she downs the the drink the wine it's yeah. like i need a, give me more wine right now right now yeah i need this for continuity when right. he gets back yeah exactly <laughs> so that was kind of funny but it was also when it was, it was a great sad. characterization point yeah. and it was sad too and you see later on where she's hiding the vodka like and it's her own house and she's hiding the vodka <laughs> Well, I mean, she has a teenager. Son. She has a teenager yeah. now. <laughs> like, but, and, um, yeah, seventeen-year-old. Yeah. So it's weird. Like, and we're older watching this now, mm. so like we're almost relating more to the older people now. Yeah. I, I feel like I am a little bit. Yeah. So it's like, and you feel different about it because you you even said kids, and mm. I thought that was interesting that you said it that way. Yeah. Because in when you think about the first Halloween, you think teenagers, right. not kids. Yeah. The kids are the ones they're babysitting. Sure. So it's like we're looking at them kind of more like kids, yeah. and she knows why she's hiding it because she has teenagers and right. they're prone to drinking and, and right. sex. Like the sex is probably the least of her worries, right. you know. At this point, yeah. you know, it's like protecting her from a killer, and maybe not doing so many substances. Right, learn yeah. from both of her uh, horrible things that have happened to her. Right. So yeah, it's I'm starting to see it that way. Yeah. Like it's it's a weird journey that I've taken yeah, now with for this. For sure. Yeah. I didn't relate much to the kids anyway when I first saw it. Yeah, because, because we didn't hang out with those that crowd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did like the uh, the wacky kids though, like the other the friends, the ones that got killed. Yeah, they're they're the more realistic ones, the ones right. you probably want to hang out with a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. A little less wallpaperish, in right. my opinion. I, I liked them, and you could yeah. those, those were actually the real fans that were coming into the mm. the series. Joe Lynn O'Keefe especially mm. was like. Love Halloween. That's cool. Was so yeah. happy to get. I would have done anything to be in it. Yeah. You know, so she was just happy to be there. Right. And uh, she got a hell of a death scene. I'll give her that. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. My favorite death scene was hers. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> go ahead and say that right away. Just because of like it just kept going on and on. Yeah. Um, it's like a cross between a crucifixion and a fucked up Christmas tree. Right? I mean, yeah. this thing. Was, yeah. Like he messed her up bad. Yeah. Like, like that's a I haven't killed in a long time, right? So I thought about this one a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's why that one's yeah. so innovative. Everything else, stab, right? Stab. I did like going back to the the diner scene though. Right, like right after that, you pointed it out to me. Oh. You had to run it back and watch it. Like, go ahead. I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. Oh, you want me to say? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I had to rewind it back because whenever she's having that argument with yeah. her son you know she caught her son and now mm-hmm. she's like what the fuck and i like that she says what the fuck yeah. by the way it's that's some good realism too yeah. by the way yeah because she probably has never said that to him maybe ever yeah so you really felt it like yeah. when your mom does that to you you're like oh yeah shit. and a- so you understand his reaction like he gets mad yeah. at certain points but yeah. he's also kind of cows down a little bit but he gets mad at her too and he t- starts to talk back at times yeah and you see this couple on the street walking and i felt like they shouldn't have even been in the movie and they <laughs> they caught it like you see him in the reflection of the store window yeah. and they they stop and they go Ugh, and then they just cross the street sideways which is what you would do in real right. life so i almost wonder if they're not even supposed to be in the film that <laughs> yeah. they walked into the shot and they went out to the side here yeah. sign and release okay great yeah but that's what it feels like. But it's also realistic at the same time. Yeah, it's, I liked it. There was a lot of cool stuff like that. Like uh, talking about the foreground background. We've talked about yeah. that through the series. It was really well done. And you never see that in movies. Yeah. Uh, at least I never tend to see it. Yeah. So I really liked that. Yeah. And, you know, we could list off the grocery list of callback references of the first one. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I want to I make it fun for the viewers and not go over every single one. Yeah, yeah. But there are so many. Yeah, there's like, a lot. There's some that it, you're not even looking for. you got to watch it again or maybe yeah. even watch the commentary to have them tell you. Because there was, like, maybe one or two. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That is a callback, isn't it? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Like, it's craziness. There's even some callbacks to two, I think, here and there so yeah i think so yeah, yeah I, I, there were too many i didn't even list all of them because it was just like repeatedly so that's um, a fun game to play yeah um talking you talking about the people you saw in the reflection on the window and that reminded me of something that i did want to bring up about uh, something that i noticed throughout the movie i noticed a lot of use of reflections and mirrors and things like that specifically 
with Lori and Michael in separate instances throughout the movie, you would see Lori look at herself in the mirror. You would see her reflected in the windows, in the, the mirrors and things like that throughout the entire movie. So she's looking at herself. And all of that, it's it's just a motif that repeats throughout the movie over and over again. And it all builds up to that one scene that is in pretty much every preview yeah. where Lori uh, is... Or actually, her son and his girlfriend are running away from Michael. Michael shows up yeah. at the school at, at night and yeah. he's chasing them. He's already killed their friend, the the guy and the girl. Yeah. And That's a Kevin Williamson choice, by the way. The gate through and no, between the, like the, the door. Gate, the gate and the yeah. door, like the little thing, yeah. yeah it was so that's a cool scene. Yeah. yeah, it was in like New York City and he was like, I want to use that in in a getaway thing. Yeah. Like it was it played so well. Yeah, it was really cool because Michael is reaching through with a knife and kind of swiping it at them and they're having to back up against the door yeah. and they can't get through the door because they don't yeah. have the keys anymore because yeah. she dropped them. Um, but Lori shows up and she lets him in and she slams the door and that's when Michael finally breaks through the gate and Michael goes up to the yeah, little almost, circular window. It's almost like a door. submarine like yeah. window or something. Yeah. yeah. And Lori is on the other side and they're staring at each other. Yeah. And since we've had this motif of mirrors and reflections so much, they are face to face. It is a reflection of each other. They are reflected Basically, that's what it's meant to be. So they're one and the same. It's family. It is. They're the same at that point. Yeah. I heard Sean Clark in the commentary say he gets a chill every time he sees that scene. I do too. Yeah. It's one of the great shots in horror history. Yeah. Especially if you have this nostalgia for it. Yeah. And it's done so well. And there's so much meaning behind it. Because, and it's that point, Michael is still chasing him, but a scene later... That's when Lori flips it and she starts chasing Michael. Right. And right prior to that, when like minutes before that happens, mm-hmm. she thinks that she fake saw him again. I don't yeah. She thinks that she's hallucinating him once again before the boyfriend I like shows that up. a lot. She closed her eyes to him yeah. and she doesn't even know it until that moment yeah. right there. She, it's like a double fright. Yeah. That's another reason why that works. And even yeah. if people didn't realize why that scene is as good, it's because of that extra scene before yeah. that, too. Done so well. Yeah, because throughout the movie, Lori had seen Michael in her mind. We yeah. know that it's in her mind because she closes her eyes, opens them, and he's gone. Yeah. But in that one sequence where she's alone, it's night, and she's alone, and she's walking back to her place yeah. where she lives on campus... And it's that long shot where Michael is just in the distance walking and she sees him and she starts to, to freak out, closes her eyes, yeah. opens them. He's still walking towards her. And I love how it's done because we don't see Michael leave. Yeah. We just see the close up or the reverse angle on Lori when the counselor walks up. Yeah. Um, we know that it couldn't have been the counselor because he was the thing she saw was too far away. Yeah. And he, ca- he kind of came in sideways. I, yeah. I, I, he came from the side. I paid attention. So the counselor boyfriend. It's a false C yeah. when they're previously in the afternoon yeah. after, uh, right before lunch. Yeah. The same thing happens to her. So in yeah. her mind, she's like, it was him like it was earlier today. Yeah. But it wasn't. And we and know, he... we have we have enough knowledge to know that it probably, well, we know Michael's on campus yeah. at this point. So, so it was him, but she doesn't know it. It's, it's super well done. But think about that. The whole time he had the drop on her. If yeah. he had, if the counselor boyfriend hadn't showed up, yeah. he could have just walked right up to her with her eyes closed and stabbed her and killed her right then and there. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy to think that yeah. like, I mean, what a cool choice in yeah. that script. I just, there's, there's so many cool things in this. Yeah. And this is really a movie people need to revisit if, yeah. even or even if they haven't seen it, they need to see it or see it again. Right. And I bet they haven't seen it in a while because I, I sure hadn't. Yeah. I think one of the things you can nitpick about the movie is the mask. And oh, God, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a debacle. And apparently there were four masks in the movie like from that, what yeah. the director was saying. Yeah, if you include the CG one, yeah, I think it's four. <laughs> that is, yeah, because I was like, wait for it and pointing it out. And it was, you didn't even need to have it pointed out. No. It was, and in the commentary, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was like, oh, that looks bad or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like... They kept, like, I think it was Sean Clark mostly that was like, okay, this is that mask. This yeah. is that mask. He was there yeah. for ma- mask commentary, basically. Because yeah. he had he had a mask that still made it into the movie in certain shots. Yeah. Because apparently, we talked about in part six how Dimension Miramax was all over that movie. And yeah. they were so controlling. In this one, the main thing, from my perspective of listening to all these different things about part seven is that the main thing that they 
were focused on is that they didn't like the mask that Steve Miner had, so they made him reshoot a lot of the stuff he'd already shot with yeah. Michael. Yeah, apparently he was pissed. Yeah, so but some of some shots of the original mask did make it in, but then there's like two other masks plus the CG mask, so that's why it looks weird all the time. Because Jamie was talking about like yeah. pointing out like, oh, that mask looks weird, and it does look weird at times because yeah. it's like weird and skinny and points I, up. I don't so. like the thin one where you can see the eyes too much. I don't like that. That's yeah, yeah. the one I like the least out of them. Yeah. So whichever one that is, that's the one I hate. Yeah. Since you brought up the mask, Chris, mm. I wanted to bring this up because he's not the only one that was. I don't want to say pissed, but he has the right to be pissed. Yeah. But in the featurette, he's definitely. He doesn't come across as bitter, and honestly, I think he should. Yeah. Uh, as John Ottman. Yeah. He was the guy that was originally uh, hired to do the score for this movie. Mm, yeah. And another, I've I brought the feature in a lot, and it's a really good one, and I recommend it because they'll actually show you side-by-sides, A-Bs on John Ottman's score oh, versus really? the dumped-in stuff that they used. Mm. Now, you know, I've played a little music in my time, but I've never been a professional musician. But mm. I can only imagine, like, John Ottman's kind of like, well, it's just business at the end of the day. But he was like... I put together this really classical sounding Hitchcockian score. Yeah. And like I said, if you see the side by sides, you'll see that he did. Yeah. Studio hated it. Mm. They were like, they basically just kept telling him it's not slasher enough. It's not rant, rant, rant enough. No, really? He, which is the irony that he was going for Hitchcock yeah. and they wanted him to go rant, rant, rant. Right, right. <laughs> so not so much Bernard Herrmann, uh, a little more so, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But they wanted it more simple. Yeah. He hired this orchestra and it's a big like, Mwah. I mean, yeah. if you watch those shots, you're like, wow, it does yeah. make the movie different. And we talked about it all the way back in the first film yeah. is that music makes the movie yeah. and can sometimes be a supporting character. Yeah, absolutely. And I am a big fan of John Ottman's score. If you want to hear a great piece of work, uh, the stuff he did for Usual Suspects. Mm. I don't own a lot of score soundtracks, but I own that one, Mm. along with Halloween 1 and a few other good ones. Uh, So recommend John Ottman's work. So he got, they only left in like, it sounds like almost like a quarter of the stuff he did was left in. He got a credit. Yeah. They brought in Marco Beltrami, who had done Scream, mm-hmm. and he was. It almost seemed like at this point he was a contract guy for yeah. uh, for Miramax. Yeah, they used stuff that he didn't even intend for Halloween. They just got stuff from some of the Scream movies. Oh, really? And some of the other stuff he was working on at the time. I think there was some score from Mimic in there. I mean, so they just wow. they were like, we had five days to put this together by just piecing all this music together to something that the studio would like. And so they were massively under the gun. Wow. So the only reason why John Ottman is, still has his music in the movie is because they had five days. He's like, if we'd had seven days, mm. he wouldn't even be in it. Wow. That's now, nuts. That is fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but go back and, and see what you think, uh, people yeah. out there. Go watch that feature. By the way, the featurette that I mentioned, I'm not being so bourgeois about it. Yes, it's on the Blu-ray box set. Mm. But I have found that you can watch all the featurettes of this on YouTube. And mm. they don't seem to be pulling them off. Yeah. So go look them up and you'll cool. see those yeah. shots on there. It's it's interesting. And they show it during really pivotal scenes. And man, it's night and day. It, I'll it, need to go back and listen to that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, justice for John Ottman. But at the same time, he did do that cool epic theme song variance and the opening title. That was all him. Okay. So that's kind of what it would have sounded like. Uh, so he's like, I'm glad they left that in at least. He goes, because that's one of the coolest things I've ever done was to cover that song. Yeah. With a with an orchestra, yeah, and so good work there. Let me know what you think on the side by side. Other than that, yeah. that's my that's my big original contribution to this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because I was noting when we were watching it, like, hey, I, I like the music, yeah. but I guess I liked it because I'd heard it in Scream before or in all these other movies sure. before. I mean, at least uh, the stuff he did in Scream was a little more electronic sounding, yeah. so at least they did keep it basic when they dumped yeah. the stuff in. So there is some continuity. Like, if you didn't know it, you may not know it. Yeah. So that's, I will say, whoever put that together probably did the best job they could have yeah. because, like I said, I didn't notice it. Yeah. Uh, and even at that time, my original viewing, I might have been prone to noticing those things. Right. I, I feel like I would, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. So it's, I guess it's unfortunate that the music became like this Frankenstein's monster. But that leads me to another reference oh. that in, I just want to, I like this one a lot. It was when Molly, Michelle Williams' character was in class. They were talking about Frankenstein. And it was a neat little callback that on a scene that's been riffed in like, 
thousands and not thousands, but like many, many movies over the years. I immediately thought of Nightmare on Elm Street Part One. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street Part One. <laughs> it follows um, Hereditary. Recently, yeah. did a riff on oh, it. Oh yeah. Um, but it was when Molly she is in class. They're talking. Lori is teaching the class. Yeah. They're talking about Frankenstein and fate. Which Laurie answered the question about fate in that class, which we talked about. It was a force of nature. After not paying attention. After not paying attention, and Molly looks out and she sees the shape. She and he's he's gone. So I yeah. just that was a great nod, and that's the only other reference I'll mention yeah. because it's oh, it's fun to that's one you'll get immediately because yeah. it's done so much. I like that you reference that one because yeah. that that's the gimme that that's the layup of the whole uh, movie right there for a reference <laughs> and a little bit of uh, slasher movie Inception. In the scene where the counselor guy goes to tell the two girls that had stayed behind from the camping trip, on the TV screen, they are watching Scream Part 2. Yes. It's the Sarah Michelle Gellar scene, which I'm happy that they put that in there, because yeah. I'm a huge fan of hers. Yeah. And that is funny, because in Scream, they were watching the original Halloween, so it's this back-and-forth Inception kind of thing, so... Does Halloween exist in this Halloween universe? I mean, I guess it does. Yeah. Uh, wow. That blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, bonus. Uh, the One of the ghost faces in Scream 2 mm. was the guy that played Michael Myers in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, he didn't do the whole movie, but he yeah. was in some of it. Yeah. So so he they're technically watching a movie with the guy that's playing Michael Myers. So right. In a, in a sequel to a movie that had Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie Strode. In a movie that has Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Whew, okay. <laughs> well, the universe is still spinning, I think. Right. We're still breathing in and out, so we didn't create some sort of movie paradox. But right. apparently, if the world was going to end, it would have in 1998. Right. Around summertime. Yes. <laughs> I guess at this point, we kind of do need to talk about the ending. Yeah. So, we've talked about... Everything up to this point, Lori goes back after. She kind of starts chasing Michael, but he's also chasing her at the same time. There's that cool scene yeah. in what looks like the cafeteria where it's the table where he's walking along the tops of the tables and he just starts flipping them over. Yeah. As he, that's really some really cool shots in there. There's some excellent shots yeah. in there. That's one of them for sure. For me, the money shot is Lori walking up the uh, the thing whenever she... Uh, Whenever she breaks the gate with a rock, the yeah. electronica oh, part yeah. of the box. Oh, for sure. She has her, I was I was going to say she has her Linda Hamilton moment, mm. but in a sense, she almost kind of created that, but she, she is a lot more empowered here because yeah. she's been pent up for so long yeah. and she was like, I'm going to write the wrong of what I did. Like yeah. she definitely feels responsible for him not dying now right. at this point. So she's going to take it into her own hand, yeah. literally with an ax, yeah. her walking up that shot in the shadow and yelling, Michael. Yeah. Nothing better than that. Yeah, movie. that's definitely her hero moment right yeah. there. But the bench flipping is, is, is a close second in my opinion. Yeah, so. and they end up fighting and she stabs him up on the second floor level and he falls over onto a table. Um, and then after that, we cut to the outside where the police and paramedics and whatnot have been it's called. And L.O. Cool J, who had been shot yeah. by the boyfriend counselor, yeah. apparently just got grazed. Right. And he's not dead. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. That flips a cliche on its end once again, much like in Halloween 3. Right. All right, yeah. So I'm not going to go further than that, but uh, yeah, I like that. And yeah. this is the kind of shot, especially in a movie like this, even of this time. Right. Where it's a false ending. Yeah. You, you even have that kind of score that puts you at ease. Yeah. Like, oh, everybody's around, the police are here, and everything's yeah. good, but it, it ain't all good. Right. And Lori's going to throw down. Lori I love once, this choice. Yeah, she once again takes matters into her own hands, and literally, where she puts her hands on the steering wheel of the the, the van, the uh, the morgue van yeah. that was taking Michael. Meat, cause meat wagon, The meat Chris. wagon, that's yes. what I was looking for. <laughs> and she... <laughs> Takes one of the cop's guns and says, get out of the way. Like, I'm taking this. And I think yeah. she has an axe with her, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, she definitely does. She definitely does. And <laughs> so she takes off with Michael in the back. She knows that he's not dead. And eventually he does sit up in the body bag. And so the whole thing where she ends up crashing the van and Michael is out of it and they all fall down and rolling and there's weird editing in this yeah, like the sure. van kind of flips back and forth yeah. but uh, the the man in the mask the shape gets pinned up against a tree at the bottom of this thing and then there's that scene where they're face to face and Michael reaches up to his head he the shape reaches up to his head yeah. and he looks over at Lori he holds out his hand she holds out her hand she rears back with the axe and chops his head off yeah. After he seems to be like 
I don't. What, what? Wait. What is this thing on my yeah. head? Now you could definitely chalk that down to a concussion, perhaps. Perhaps does Michael even get those? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but the fact that she just chopped his head off, and to the tune of the the thing I call it, the helium balloon sounding squeal from mm-hmm. part one. Yeah. Straight true. out of the score from that, actually. Yeah. And yeah, I love that. That's okay. It's when it's when the kid at the elementary school runs into Michael. It's that noise. Yeah. It's the same exact noise. Yeah. I love that. So I was very satisfied with this. Yeah. The beheading of Michael Myers. A beheading is pretty much it. I mean, you're not. Yeah. It's not going to crawl back to its owner. Right. Like. Right. <laughs> I mean, not in this kind of a world. It's we, not like Deadpool where he's just going to grow that body part back. Right. Is it, there's like a little baby body coming out of the bottom of the head. <laughs> baby yeah. head, Michael. Yeah. Is the mask still on there? Right. Like, yeah. he grows on mask, <laughs> which is why there's four fucking masks in this movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that explains everything. There you go. Uh, but yeah, no, he's beheaded. He's dead. And I'd like to think that that was it. Yeah. That'd be nice. Now, I'd like to talk about this more in the next one because I'm gonna have very, gonna have to, I'm yeah. gonna have very little to say. Yeah, and this isn't even a good thing. I was like, I'm yeah. gonna have very little good things to say about this next one, but I'm just gonna tack it on. Sure, let's keep piling on for that one. Yeah, before we get to that, we yeah. gotta break it down, Chris. Uh, let's let's do some body count. Yes, body counts in the house. All right, body count. There were seven total deaths in this movie. Six of them caused by Michael Myers, a.k.a. The Shape. The first one was Jimmy, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We didn't see him die, but we saw his death. He got a skate in the face. and we... That's a good one. That's yeah, a good choice. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. yeah. Number two was his friend Tony, who was stabbed. We don't see him get killed either, but he was there with Jimmy in his house. And the third one in that same scene was Marion, who we talked about, was reaching out to try to get the attention of the police that had gone into her house but her throat was cut in the window as if the cops had just looked over they would have seen her but they didn't and then number four is charlie the boy the friend of john charlie got corkscrewed in the neck like cut. we didn't see it happen yeah we saw him do the the scene where he reached into the disposal to get the corkscrew out yeah. and there's the he keeps looking at the the switch for it yeah um but that was just a red herring and he ends up getting killed yeah. off screen it's a nice shot yeah well done for tension yeah absolutely uh number five was his girlfriend sarah played by jody lynn o'keefe which was my favorite death scene because it just kept happening charlie was found in the dumb waiter in the school and yeah. she gets in there because michael is right behind her so she tries to get away from that but as she's trying to climb out he michael cuts the rope on the dumb waiter and causes it to smash onto her leg in that really gross and gory like yeah. broken leg makeup yeah she just she had a rough day man and i then, love that shot by the way of michael looking up at the dumb waiter yeah, yeah and figuring out what this thing is right yeah he figured it out pretty quick yeah, too yeah. like i said you said before he's pretty smart yeah resourceful yeah and so as she's trying to crawl across, I think it's the kitchen that she's in, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael just slowly walks up and just repeatedly stabs her in the back. And then we find her later on and she's strung up, like you said, in the, the bloody Christmas tree thing. Yeah. Um, number six is the counselor who was uh, Laurie Strode's possible boyfriend, but not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. He's yeah no, more, no more sneaking around my mom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh yeah, Janet Lee was not her actual mom. and It's a nice call, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, people have talked about this to death. Yeah. So yes, Janet Lee is in it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she with, doesn't die with the same car, same kind of car from Psycho. Yeah. She yeah. gets to do a line from Part One. Yep. She gets to drive her Psycho car. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It was a great. I loved it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure Jamie loved it too. Yeah. All right. But will the counselor get stabbed in the back with a butcher knife and <laughs> lifted up in the air, a la Part Two? Yes. That was the callback I was trying to think was of. Was okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And then the seventh death in the movie is the man in the mask the one that gets beheaded at the end of the movie that at the time when we were watching it felt like a very good and satisfying ending yeah i was like cool i can watch three movies in one night yeah like this is the official canon now right i'm good yeah i'm good with this Mm -hmm. now the conversation will now turn immediately on the next episode was it all worth it for what we got later right we'll see were there any breasts in this movie, Joey? Oh, goodness. Uh, no. Zero breasts. 
but I still liked the movie. <laughs> Can you put that on the box? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, uh, what's the Peter Griffin joke? Oh, yeah, because he taped over Citizen Kane at the video store. Right. That's why it gets banned. And it says, Rosebud, click. Was a sled. There, I just saved you two boobless hours. No, and no boobs, but it's worth it. And, and in a horror movie, in a horror movie sequel, I mean, it's not a first, but it's, yeah. it's rare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, especially once you get to, I mean... Once you get to, like, part seven, which is what this is officially, yeah. you're either going to have tons of breasts or you're going to be in space by that point. Right. Or both. Right. Which... When, when you think about it, in the new canon as of H2O, there were uh, two topless women in the first movie. There was one in the second one, and there are zero in this one, which is technically the third in, in that canon series. Yeah. So they were working their way down. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All right, that's cool. Yeah, Kevin Williamson doesn't put breasts in his script. He puts yeah. he puts breasty women in his script, but yes. they never show the breasts. But there there's something to be said for that, I think. Okay, let's just uh, let let's get on to the plugs, Chris. Right. <laughs> you can find all of these Halloween episodes on cnjradio.com. Of course, coming up next is Halloween Resurrection, which we'll see how long it goes. Maybe we'll talk about it forever because we have so much to say, and maybe we'll talk about it for the least amount. I don't know if you're idea of the longer it is the worse it is we'll see yeah i seem to have said that at some point yeah. early on because i think yeah. we did that on one yeah. of the friday movies yeah. but this is either going to be a 20 minute episode or an hour and a half episode right. we'll see but you can look forward to that on cnjradio.com spotify apple Podcasts, and all of those things go to our facebook and our twitter at the last theater on twitter and interact with us over there and yeah, uh, check us out as we make our way through Halloween to Halloween on October 31st for the wrap-up for all of these episodes. We still have a long way to go, in a way. And well, it's because seem- of, a seemingly long way to because go. Because of what we have to get through to get to the end. <laughs> well, like, we're over the hump, but yeah. <laughs> we're, we're into a different hump now right. for the next three movies, Chris. Yeah, so you can hear all about it on all of those things, and we'll see you next time. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to make you jump. It's okay. Well, hey, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. I've had my share.